Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help, and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts, and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values, and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to this week's show. I hope you're doing well wherever you are listening to this um, around the world. Great to have you. Um, I am joined on this week's show by two uh, gentlemen from Trusted Family. Now, helpfully, they are both called Edward. Um, and yes, I do make a terrible joke about two Eds being better than one. So you have to bear with me on that one, but I couldn't resist. And the reason I'm interviewing them today is twofold. Firstly, we're talking about the role of digitization within your family business. And it's a topic that's perhaps become more and more relevant over the last 12 or 14 months or so. Um, But it's also something that if you read the reports, the global reports from the likes of PwC and KPMG, the big consultancy firms, they highlight that there's often this uh, challenge when it comes to the digitization of family businesses. So hopefully the uh, insights and experience shared by uh, both the Eds today um, can help shine a light on opportunities within your own business. Um, Secondly, they created um, Trusted Family out of a need to solve a problem in their own family businesses. Uh, Now, as a family business advisor, which is what I do as a day job, the most common challenge that I come up against is this kind of move to formalize the governance or the decision making, the communication within a family business. And as your own family business grows, the number of family members involved is likely to increase. The households that they grow up in over generations is likely to increase. And so communication and knowing what to be talking about and when to be talking about it can become a real challenge. And so the role that I play is I go into families and say, well, what's working? What isn't working? What can we do to help um, alleviate any of the uh, tensions or issues that are being experienced as a result of this growth? The need to sort of formalize and it's a horrible phrase, but professionalize the business. Um, is uh, an area I get involved in a lot and an extension of that is then how do you maintain communication how do you maintain the uh, voting records the minutes the you know all the other aspects that come along with the formalization of the business and um, Ed and Ed created Trusted Family to solve that exact problem so it's great to be able to have them on the show talking about that this week and they mentioned they met at a conference that the family business network um, hosted they sat on the same table 
and they were able to sort of share ideas and share experiences and come up with this idea. And so it seems a really good opportunity to mention again that the IFB conference is coming up. It is online. It's on the 10th of June. Tickets are available by going to ifb.org.uk forward slash conference. But the experience that Ed and Ed had really highlights that as well as the great kind of speakers and um, information that you hear at these conferences, the community and the network that you can um, tap into and, and create uh, is also worth uh, exploring as well. So highly recommend that you um, go along to that. It is open to anyone. So um, you, can, you can just go online, follow that link uh, and buy a ticket. Um, and I'll be heading along. So I hope to see uh, as many of you there as possible. So as I say, really enjoyable interview with um, Trusted Family. Um, and if you want to find out more about what it is that they do, there is links in the show notes um, and uh, on the podcast website, which is fanbizpodcast.com. Um, so head there for show notes and links to Trusted Family. But I'll now hand over to my interview with uh, Ed Jansen and Ed Thiessen from Trusted Family. Enjoy. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. I am your host, Russ Hayworth, and I'm joined today by Edward Jensen and Edward Thiessen from Trusted Family. Um, I will get both Ed to introduce themselves properly in a second and explain their background. Um, but the topic of today's show is going to be looking at digitization. And uh, once you hear their introductions, you'll understand um, why they're such perfect guests for today's show. Um, you may have heard the saying that two heads are better than one. Uh, well, on today's show, we are uh, advocating that two heads are better than one. So firstly, uh, Ed Jensen, welcome to the show. And Ed Thiessen, welcome to the show. Um, perhaps give us a, a bit of that background for us. Great. Well, Thank you so much for, for, for having us. Super excited to, to be there. Uh, hello, Ed. Uh, great to see you as well and, and to do this uh, together. Uh, yeah, so quick intro. I'm, I'm from Brussels, uh, Belgium originally. Uh, I grew up there. Um, and I would say when I turned uh, 19 or 20, my dad sent me to a family business conference organized by the Family Business Network that uh, you, you might know. Uh, when I grew up, I, I didn't really realize, um, but, you know, by going to this conference, you know, I, I, I suddenly sort of got introduced to the, the family business background. So I'm, I'm a fifth generation member of a Belgian family that's active in uh, building materials. Um, we own a company uh, that's sort of a global lead in plastic fittings for transport of water and sanitary systems. We actually have a rule in the family and no one works in the day-to-day -day operations uh, of the business. Uh, only on, on the board level. And, you know, being fifth generation, you can imagine that, you know, we've done quite a lot of work on, uh, you know, our governance processes, communication processes, and organization processes uh, to keep it all uh, running uh, effectively, right? And so long story short, I arrived at that family business conference and just learning about my own family and, and the business background and the history was actually quite an experience uh, in itself. And at that conference, I actually also met Edouard Janssen, where we were sitting uh, at, at the same table. 
So maybe I can pass it on to Edouard where he can introduce himself and his own family, and then we can share uh, how the idea for Trusted Family actually emerged from, from that conference. Yeah, definitely, with pleasure. Uh, nice to see you, Ed, uh, as well. So yeah, my name is Edward Jensen. I'm also from Brussels, uh, Belgium. I'm around eight years older than Ed Thyssen. And as a consequence, when we met at that conference, uh, I was... Uh, I had finished my undergrad, I had done a trip around the world, and then I had worked a few years in London at Morgan Stanley, and I was moving back to Brussels to work in our family business, which is Solvay, a chemical, uh, 155 years old, uh, large company listed on the stock market. And I was quite strongly shocked by the cultural differences at the time between uh, Solvay and Morgan Stanley. And that's why I had accepted to go speak to uh, to that conference and and. And indeed, I sat, we sat at the same table with Ed and we started discussing and, and we had this idea of saying we, we, that day we became more aware about how important uh, fair process, communication and cohesion are within family businesses. And um, at the same time, it was the time, 2000, 2007, 2008, when Facebook, LinkedIn were starting to emerge and, and to become bigger. And so that's how this idea came up of thinking, I mean, could we use these modern technologies to facilitate communication? And at first we thought within our own families, right? And to be honest, we were quite new and, and fresh into these topics. And, and we learned by doing it. And it's great to see nowadays, indeed, that Trusted Family has grown. And, 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 but the, all the merit is to Ed Thyssen because I've, I've rarely been full-time in the project. I've worked full-time at Solve, our family business, for now 15 years. And Ed Thyssen has been CEO, he has opened the office in the US and, and Trusted Family now has 150 clients uh, worldwide. Fantastic. And I think that the um, point that you, that you both made there is that the, the solution was created. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned in the intro, that the topic of today is kind of digital, how, how to um, utilize uh, technology to, to make things like this far easier. But, but it was... Trusted family was created out of a need that both of you saw in your own families and that they were long established successful family businesses. And yet this need existed in order to, to try and create a platform that allowed for better communication and coherency. And so in, in your roles as kind of the next gen in that uh, environment, was that an advantage to uh, sort of bringing in digital technology? Was it something where there were barriers because it was something that was digital and perhaps new and, and fresh. Kind of talk us through that um, side of things. I think what happened is by going to that conference, I think Christine Blondel uh, was there from the INSEAD uh, Family Business Center. And I think suddenly we realized that, you know, family businesses go through the same transitions and go through the same challenges. Um, you know, basically, you know, every business is started by typically one uh, founder, right? Uh, founder gets married, has two, three kids, they get married, and then they have two, three kids. And so suddenly the family is 10, 15, 20, 30 people, right? Uh, you've all heard about the, the saying, short sleeves to search sleeves, right? Where I think less than 10% of family companies actually stay successful and, and together for, for more than three generations. And I think that, that really struck us. And we really try to understand, well, how can we contribute to our own family businesses and try and really organize ourselves in, in the right way, right? 
And at that conference, we really learned the importance of communication, transparency, shared decision making, fair process, etc. Right. But you know, back then, it was over ten years ago. You know, digital technology was not where we are today. Right. Most families would have one typical big family meeting a year to discuss what's what's happening. You know, most most family companies are actually private, so there's not a lot of communication. And so I think what we realized is, you know, like over the generation, the family gets bigger, family spreads out over different cities and countries. And actually, often what happens is you have less and less family members who have an active role in, in the business, right? Maybe one or two still work in the business, but then all the others become sort of passive owners. And you start to have these dynamics between active and, you know, passive owners. I think the second big trend that we saw is as you pass on from the first to the second and then the third generation, you know, typically when you have a founder, it's a very strong uh, character that's used to like sort of central decision making, etc. But the moment you pass on to the second or the third, gen- third generation, if you want to stay successful as a family in the long run, what's really critical is this concept of shared decision making, right? You have to all look in the same direction and make sure you make the right decisions, right? And so learning to work together as siblings or as cousins becomes really, really critical, right? And so back then, I was, I was, I, I was actually still studying, and I was passionate by technology. I learned coding when I, when I was 16. And so long story short, we're like, there's a better way than just meeting in person and you know, trying to do all, the, all these things. It, it doesn't scale, right? So we came up with this idea to basically build a board, shareholder, and family governance system um, and, and sort of mobile app where any family member could connect to the system, uh, but also our close advisors or our external board members and see the information that's important for them, depending on their role, right? Because uh-huh. in a family business, people have different hats. You know, you can be a family member, you can be a shareholder, you can be a board member, and some, some people combine different hats. Some people don't have all the different hats. And so we needed to have that, that variation, right? And so I think that's really what, what happened. We realized that there was an opportunity for, for a digital platform. We convinced our, our two families that it was actually a good idea. It took us some time, but, you know, we, we got there. And then I think, you know, we, we, we started meeting on, on a weekly basis. And it, it took us probably about you know, nine months to a year to launch a first version of Trusted Family uh, initially for, for our two families. But I think what's, what's really uh, interesting was that Edward was already, you know, you know, I was only 19, 20 back then. I didn't have a lot of like work experience. Edward had some previous work experience and with his brothers, he had also been active a little bit in the investment space and supporting, you know, different startups and, and companies, right? So he had seen the entrepreneurial experience from an investor perspective. And so at one point we realized that what we were building for two families could actually also be turned in, into a business. Uh-huh. And I remember there, like Edward had actually a lot of experience in building a business plan in thinking about scaling a business. And that started conversations about structuring everything we were doing in a way that it could be scaled and built up because like we did some online research and you know, in most countries, 60 to 80% of the companies are actually family owned or family controlled. And so we're like, actually, if we have this issue, there's probably a lot of other people out there that, that have a similar issue, right? So that's really how Trusted Family was born. 
Fantastic. And again, a, a couple of points that you mentioned there. Firstly, your your attendance at the FBN conference and, and the fact that you were there to, to learn and understand that some of the challenges that you're facing as a family business are shared by lots of different other family businesses at varying different stages of their um, sort of de development and, and age. And that you identified that your own business had this particular challenge around how do we given that modern life has meant that perhaps family members are more dispersed both geographically and in in age range but also that the kind of technology is is starting to get a bit more useful um utilizing that experience to then go we've got a, a solution that we can provide to this it, it is an exciting um, way to take that learning and development because I think oftentimes when, when I speak to families they feel as if the challenges that they're facing are theirs and theirs alone and that although the personalities might be different that the, actually the, the challenges around the family-ness in a family business are shared globally and I think what you've created with Trusted Family is a way of kind of centralizing and utilizing technology to allow families to better communicate to be able to avoid some of the us and them that can exist between, as you say, the passive owners and the active owners. It's kind of drawing the family back in and, and utilizing digital technology rather than relying on getting everybody in the same place at the same time, one day a year or two days a year. Would, would that be fair? Yes, if I can jump in, I would add that um, there is a famous saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? Mm -hmm. The reason for that is that this culture is very, sometimes it's not so easy to put it in words, but it's very, it permeate, permeates everything, right? In the, in the family or in the organization. And I think one of the things we, came, we became aware of as well is that in many families, there is somebody who's called a chief emotional officer, right? Who sometimes is just a big leader with very high emotional intelligence, but sometimes not. Sometimes you have somebody with a lot of empathy, who's maybe a bit too kind to be good in business, uh -huh. but who's really this chief, chief emotional officer. And we came to realize that this role is actually very important and sometimes was threatened because of globalization because of the fact that we travel more that life is probably a bit more hectic with with modern technologies with more travel with with more exchanges between countries etc and we realized that the technological tools that trusted family brings can facilitate a lot these also softer interactions within families and and that yes of course it's it's crucial to have a board that functions well and to be able to sign the documents, etc. But it's also very important to be able to uh, organize events or to communicate properly, etc. So it's the mix of this hard and, and soft aspects, which we think actually, and, and it's a bit like watering a plant, right? You don't necessarily, we've seen families where if they don't take care of these softer aspects, you don't necessarily see the negative impact in the short term. But you see the benefits in the medium to long term, because it's at the time when there is a crisis that you realize the value of having a, a family like any organization where the information flows, where people are ready to collaborate together, where they trust each other, etc. Yeah, just to react on that, I, I think the, the role of, I mean, basically what happens is complexity increases over time for all these families, right? More shareholders, more board members, more family members, more complex businesses, more global businesses more information to manage, et cetera, right? And I think most 
family companies in the world are private companies. So we always give the comparison. Every listed business in the world has a pretty developed shareholder relations team. You know, they do roadshows all over the world. They invest a lot in their shareholders and in their corporate governance, right? In a family company, most of the time you go and talk to them. And yeah, you know, it's sort of the side job of the chairman when, when the chairman, you know, has some time to actually do it. But, you know, it doesn't get prioritized or, you know, there's not the right resources. And so I think a lot of work we started doing, you know, through Trusted Families actually to say when if something is important, you need to have someone in charge of it and you need to have a budget allocated to it. So irrespective of the technology, what Jay was saying, the sort of chief emotional officer or this chief governance officer, it's really critical. And it's not always a full-time job. But we believe that every family company in the world should appoint someone that's in charge of managing this complexity and these governance processes over time, right? And so it's been really interesting through Trusted Family. Now, you know, we, we work with family companies in, in over 25 countries, and all the families we work with have identified, developed, and created that sort of chief governance communication officer role. And... What's been also interesting for us is like we've sort of built a community of these chief you know, relations officers. So we do events now, I mean, in normal times, you know, <laughs> like in, in, in New York, London, pa- Paris and, and Florida, where we bring these chief governance officers together and then we sort of compare notes and experiences. Right. So like how should you communicate in times of crisis, for example? Right. You know, technology is there to help, but it's still like what's the format? You know, what's the information you share, et cetera, right? How do you engage and educate next generation members that are going to become shareholders, but that maybe have no interest in the legacy operating business of, of the family, right? Uh-huh. So a lot of these topics, what we started realizing is like everyone has the same issue. And because they all use our technology platform, we started building templates and best practices of like how to manage these like governance processes. Um, as as a family company, got it. Uh, and just talk talk us through a, a little more detail on the the technology platform itself. I if I'm listening to this and I'm a, a family member, whether I'm at board level, whether I'm at owner level, whether I'm working in a business or or next gen listening, thinking I'm going into this business at some stage, just talk us through how the the platform itself works. So I've I've had the advantage of seeing it in action so so i understand it but i think if you haven't seen it in action um it it's something that um well i'll let you guys explain what it is that that, that it actually physically does yeah so I, I think it's really simple we didn't reinvent the wheel we just tried to understand how do families work in real life right and every family is going to have meetings so they're going to set up either a board of directors of the company maybe an investment committee, if it's sort of a family office or a financial family, maybe they have a shareholders council or family council, you know, they have, you know, meetings with their advisors, et cetera, right? These meetings are really critical for the success of, of the family because at these meetings, a lot of information is being reviewed, a lot of decisions are being taken, et cetera, right? And so we think that these meetings are critical for the long-term success of, of the family. So, We've built technology to help everything linked to that meeting flow, right? How do you prepare the meeting? 
how do you like actually run the meeting? How do you follow up on the meeting? Make sure that the right decisions are are are, are, are taken and, and followed up on. How do you approve and, and sign minutes? All that stuff, right? So that's what I call the decision making uh, module. Where like, hey, to make the right decisions, you need to have the right people around the table. You need to have the the latest and the newest information at your fingertips to sort of actually know what, what what's happening, etc. Right. So that's obviously a, a big part of what we do. I think the second part of what we do is, is to sort of create that transparency and accountability between the people that have an active role and the people that don't have an active role, right? Because you know, in most family companies, when things go well, no one complains, you know, because you know, things are developing, et cetera. But it's when things are more difficult that you know, people start to be worried and people start to ask questions, right? And that's where the family dynamics can come into the way where the people that are non-active will sort of challenge, you know, why a certain decision was made, et cetera. Right? And so the benefit of using a technology like, like Trusted Family is like, we actually have a no trade. And so we work with sort of CEOs, chairmen, leaders, et cetera, to make sure that they communicate, you know, on a frequent basis, you know, these are the decisions we're taking, this is why we're taking them, et cetera. So you have a no trade of everything that happens. And so a family member or non-active shareholder can't complain six months, one year down the line and be like, oh, I didn't know about this. I didn't know about that, right? Because we have a proof of what was communicated when to, to whom, right? Uh -huh. So I would say that's, that's, that's the second bucket. Third bucket is sensitive information. Um, you know, every family, you know, like, you know, business becomes complex. You have entities you know, in different countries, business growth, et cetera. So the amount of information you have to manage is actually very significant, right? And, you know, historically it was on paper, but now, you know, a lot of families, you know, still use email where a lot of documents were going back and forth, right? But first of all, email is not very secure. Like if you send a, a document to 10 people, that document actually gets copied on 10 different email boxes, right? You have no clue if it's read, you have no clue if it's being forwarded, et cetera, right? And so storing and sharing these documents through a platform like Trusted Family is a lot more effective and, and secure because first of all, it's, it's archived, it's, it's indexed. There's only one copy of the document. And then you get the full audit trail where you can see, hey, who's viewed the document, who's you know, interacted with the document, et cetera, right? And then the last bucket is workflows. And you know, that's clearly something that we saw you know, this year through, through COVID, right? Like, how do you sign documents? How do you approve documents? How do you do like remote voting? All that stuff, right? Uh, so we actually think it's, it's only the beginning where, you know, every, you know, all the governance of sort of any private company in the world is going to become more and more digital, you know, in, in the years to come. And, you know, our vision at Trusted Family is to re really be sort of the leading governance platform for any private entity in, in the world, combining all the tools they need in a super simple, easy to use interface. Brilliant. Um, and Ed, Jay, any, anything to add on uh, on that? Uh, I mean, Ed T's done a great job of, of um, providing the detail around that. Maybe just adding one aspect about uh, online and IT security. And it's a bit of a, an, an anecdote and a paradox. When we created Trusted Family a bit more than 10 years ago, the leaders we were talking to were often around 65 years old. And so they were very much into still the old way of doing things, right? And for them, the initial reaction was, oh, isn't it dangerous to put all this information, our list 
the family members, etc., online. And so we became, we, from the beginning, we've taken online security very seriously. We had somebody early, you know, since the early days to be as secure as an online bank, etc. And what we see nowadays is that there is a bit of a switch to the other direction, that the new generations who now are starting to, to gain influence sometimes are so not aware about the risks of hacking or, or online security risks that they go a bit the other side of the board saying, but do we really need online security? I mean, we see our family members who are on Facebook and all these things. So I think it's very important to find a balance and to be aware that yes, many of these families are privileged. Yes, online security matters a lot because even if it's not all confidential information which is shared there. It's important to manage and to keep a level of safety and security. And so, so for the, I think that's an important angle of trusted family since the creation. And again, a, a, a couple of points to to pick up on. Obviously, we can't, given where we are in the in the world now, and and we're still experiencing uh, the global pandemic at different degrees, at different parts of the world. But the the need for businesses and for families to adapt to perhaps utilizing digital technology more than they would have done before i mean an extreme example of you know being in lockdown and not being able to meet we've been necessary to do things over zoom and, and microsoft teams and things like that uh, and so are you seeing that businesses are more open to utilizing technology it may still be a little bit too soon in in what we're experiencing to uh, kind of uh, understand that but presumably that's the direction of travel given what's happened COVID's kind of been an accelerant towards um, the sort of progress we're seeing in utilizing technology is that something you're seeing? I think the last 12 months were, were a, a, a big you know a big change for many family companies right because like if you remember back in March and April I think the biggest the biggest topic on everyone's head was the level of uncertainty right you know, it's like one of these crises that none of us has ever seen for a long time, right? So a lot of family companies were not prepared and had to adapt very, very quickly, right? And so I think, you know, there was obviously the, 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 the health crisis, but, you know, linked with sort of an economical crisis. And so there was just a lot of uncertainty. And so all the topics, you know, we talked about earlier in the call were just more important, right? Like these these active versus non-active family member dynamics were exacerbated, right? Because all the non-active ones were like, oh, like what's the family company doing, right? And also the leaders of these family companies, they have to make massive decisions very, very quickly with not a lot of information. And we'll only know in six months or one year from now if the decisions they took back then were actually the right decisions, right? And so, you know, we worked very closely with many of our existing clients to actually think, well, how do you communicate in times of crisis when you actually don't know a lot of things? And a lot of families adopted sort of a scenario planning uh, approach where basically every week they had sort of a crisis meetings and, and you know, they would start, hey, this is what we know today. Uh, this is what we don't know. And these are three, four things that could happen over the next, you know, one to six months, for example, right? And as sort of reality kicked in, depending on the different scenarios and how countries reacted, et cetera, you know, families had to adapt and, and make decisions, right? And so a lot of our clients actually started communicating in that format 
to the non-active members to be like, voila, this is what we know, this is what we don't know. And these are the decisions we're taking today based on the information we have today, right? Because what a lot of family companies didn't want to have is on, on top of the health crisis and the economic crisis, you don't want to have a family crisis that mm-hmm. sort of adds on, on, on top of that, right? I think obviously that the next thing is just, I think it, it really accelerated the digital transformation because, you know, board meetings had, had to happen and they had to ap- happen remotely. So a lot of family members that would, you know, not like to engage on video, etc. cetera, uh, you know, actually like we're forced uh, to, to, to get there. I, I think we've also seen some really amazing stories where like, you know, some family companies that had a very strong focus on sort of in-person meetings. Well, they actually realized that, you know, for family members living abroad, outside of the home country of that family company, traveling every time for a meeting is not always doable. But suddenly when you transition all of that in the digital space, everyone is equal, irrespective of like where you live in the world, right? Uh So I think there's actually, like we've heard some really cool and amazing stories of like families that created virtual family and shareholder meetings and sort of created new formats to engage the family members in sort of this very special year that, that, that we lived through. And I mean, even for trusted family, it, it was, was a very intense year. Like we hired 10 people over, over the last six to eight months. Most of them we had never met physically mm. when they joined us, right? All the team was remote. So we, we sort of launched a few initiatives to build connectivity between our team members, you know? So like, like one initiative that works really well is actually it's like it's a random virtual coffee session so we coded a little script where like at the beginning of the week, uh, you know, we just take all the list of trusted family, uh, you know, team members and they get matched with someone randomly from, from the company. And we suggest that they have a virtual coffee during the week where they can't really talk about work, for example. Uh-huh. And like, it's a very small initiative. It takes 15, 30 minutes every week, but suddenly people that, you know, are not in the same team and rarely talk to each other, get an opportunity to get to know each other, to speak to each other, etc. And, you know, that, that was actually suggested by, by you know, uh, one, one of our team members that implemented the ID. And yeah, we've seen a lot of cool initiatives like that, where sort of, you know, employees just came up with, with an ID and then ex- executed on it to keep building that culture. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's, that's a really cool idea because, again, with... We, we... Um, hearing about where um, businesses are having to work more remotely and, and not necessarily be in the same location, that those kind of water cooler moments are being missed, and, and the opportunity for just uh, conversation and checking in on people is, is being missed. And so, uh, again, I think if people are listening and look, looking for ideas of, of how to do that, then that, that's a that's a great way of of doing it. Um, people may be listening and thinking that there is an awful lot within their business that could benefit from moving down this kind of digital route be that you know moving meetings to more um remote meetings like uh, zoom or, or teams things like that putting documents into kind of electronic format rather than having the paper trail um, here there and everywhere in your experience where's a good place for 
to kind of start that. If it is something where we're going, look, we've resisted long enough, we're going to actually have to go down this route and we we know we need to improve the these things. Um, you can kind of, again, stereotyping, but the, the more senior generation who are more traditional and say, well, actually, paper-based is great and I am digital because I am using email. Actually, we're saying let's go one further to, to increase this the security aspects of it. Where's a good place for them to start in that journey if it is something that is still pretty new to them despite the last 12 months? I mean, I, I think I would say something, again, if something is important, I found someone in charge of it. And I think a lot of operating companies now have a sort of a chief digital officer who are people with digital experience that look at the entire, you know, company footprint and activities and try and understand where can digital help, right? Digital can help you know, to increase uh, marketing and sales operations, for example, can increase, you know, internal productivity and, and communication and transparency, right? So there's a lot of things where technology can, can, can help. And, you know, I, I think someone should be in charge of it. And then depending on the specific situation of that business, they should build a roadmap and a strategy with their priorities for the, you know, the first 12 months and then evolve that in sort of a, a two, three year plan. Yeah, I would add that the, the challenge in answering that question is that it's such a gain of time and energy and efficiency in, in everything that you can transform, right? From from the, the manual or the old way of doing it to, to, the, to the digital. It's the case if you sign a document online, for sure. It's the case if you organize a meeting online. It's the case if you archive. It's the case if you use Doodle, for example, to if you scratch your head trying to put six, meeting, six people together in, in, in a and find the slot within let's say two weeks often it's it's a it's a bit of a nightmare and, and with something like doodle it facilitates it a lot so of course this whole sector has boomed a lot and it in my view it makes life easier right it facilitates many interactions which and it so it, it allows to focus more on the things which probably create more value which are more uh, delicately complex or, or rich in a sense as part of the uh, kind of process of implementing a platform such as Trusted Family. Uh, I know you guys spend time talking through that with um, potential clients who, who are looking to use that system. What are some of their more common concerns about that process? Because if it exists within what you're doing, it, it presumably would exist as general concerns about this move to a technology platform rather than say a paper trail or the you know the big filing cabinets you have in in offices as being the you know, we lock it and then hide the key uh, in a, an unlocked drawer next to it um, as kind of the security process but presumably people are coming to you going well what about this how does that work what are the sort of things that they're um, needing to overcome in order to embrace the digital world i mean i think the biggest one is often the cultural change within within the family, right? Because I think technology is very participative and creates that transparency, right? I think you often have the shareholder meetings where like there's a beautiful presentation and then no one actually asks questions, right? Which is just a reflection of culture and sort of, you know, like how people interact, right? And I think it's something that we see also in the electronic format how does the culture evolve over a group of, you know, five to 20, 30 people in a digital environment, right? And so suddenly people sometimes interact or express themselves in very different ways 
than in in real life. And obviously, I mean, there's there's you know every family does their due diligence in terms of security, in terms of features, etc. Uh, but I think you know, like the platform has been around for over ten years and so has grown into actually working on a, on a lot of use cases. Our recommendation is is always to start small, right? Pick one problem that you as a family have and focus on that, right? Do you want to focus first on, you know, your board and committee governance? Do you want to focus on, you know, the communication to non-active shareholders? Do you want to focus on sort of, you know, like the, the, the governance and compliance just to make sure that everything is correctly documented, archived, signed, approved, et cetera, right? Um, and then focus on that. And then once that's successful, you can add other use cases, uh, you know, o- over time. And I think maybe in the beginning, you know, people were also like, hey, it's just that family still going to be around in five or 10 years, you know, because <laughs> yeah. like it, we're still an ID. I think now, you know, we've reached the scale where, you know, we've, we've grown significantly, you know, with offices in, in the US, in, in UK and, 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 and Belgium. And, you know, we've reached that critical mass. Um, so, you know, that's, that's not really a concern anymore. But. Yeah. And, and obviously you have um, a, a group of, uh, a large group of families that you're working with and providing these these um, services to via the the technology platform, and are you able to um, speak to? You mentioned about the concern about the cultural impact and the impact that it might have on the family. Presumably, you have people who have come in with that concern that have then realised that actually this has made communication far more efficient. It has made again. It's kind of been forced under the microscope over the last 12 months because there hasn't been an alternative to the um, kind of digital uh, way, way of looking at things. But those families that perhaps would have had concern that this is not the way to um, communicate, this is, this is something new and it's uh, a cultural change that we're going to have to see in our own family. They would be advocates for saying, actually, this is far more efficient. It does mean that we have better relations. It does mean that we have less in the way of tension between active and passive members of the, the ownership group, as an example, because we're able to communicate in this way. Is, is that an experience that you're, you're hearing? Yeah, uh, definitely. I would say for, for me, one big chunk, one element of the game, but which for me is very satisfying, is to go f- into... 20th century was a lot of top-down organizations, right? And power was quite centralized, et cetera. And one big gain when you create a flatter structure, for example, through uh, using digital tools, like the ones of Trusted Family, is that suddenly you empower people much more, right? And suddenly you have somebody, uh, one example that that touched me that happened often in in my family is that suddenly you have somebody who has a nice uh, house with a nice garden and who before would never have, Maybe the person is busy with his job or with his family or whatever. And suddenly now he's going to organize an event and say, I invite 20 people, 20 people max, first come uh, basis. And, um, and and then invites them and it's a success and everybody's happy to get to know him better. It, it's a small informal example, but it illustrates to me how if you and empower people through tools, suddenly you change the dynamic because people get to know each other better. So the information flows better. And so your whole family as an organization functions much better, right? Because by getting to know each other as well, they they are more tolerant to each other, more patient towards each other, and they will find room for collaboration. They will express, they will also 
The danger of the top-down organization is that there is a much bigger power distance, right? So mm -hmm. people don't dare to ask questions, to express themselves. And there is this thing that people call collective intelligence, right? Very often in a diverse group, you have this collective intelligence. As you said, there is more in two heads than in, than in one, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. and, uh, and, and, and so by creating a more empowered family, as, you clearly reinforce that within the family. And it, it, we've spoken about um, the use of um, kind of Facebook and, and other uh, social media kind of platforms and, and people going, well, I, I see my family on Facebook and, and that side of it. But I think that the difference here is what we're talking about is what people post on Facebook is effectively the lens that they want you to look through in on their lives, right? They don't necessarily post when they have a, a terrible day. In Instagram photos of um, bad dinners don't tend to to make as, as much as the Instagram photos of the kind of restaurant style dinners that, that people are having. And so they're, they're choosing the lens at which they, they look for and being very selective over what's there. Whereas what we're talking about is ensuring that people within the family have access to the appropriate information to allow them to make decisions, to ask questions, to have that interaction with their family members based on where they sit in terms of the overall position. If they are a, a passive owner and have no active role in the business at all, they still have a right to have access to that information. And if they're not getting that through something like trusted family, they are then perhaps seeing Facebook posts of how great someone else's um, lifestyle is when they might be worrying about their dividend payment. And, and it can create that tension. Whereas this is a, a way of ensuring that everybody has the right access to the right information to to be more interactive, to create that coherency. Is that right? And yeah, yeah, that's that's spot on. And you know, that's the biggest topic. And you know, that's like yeah, that's really the DNA of what we do because you know some some clients before they sign up to trusted family, some of the leaders are a bit reluctant to be transparent and to really share information because they're like, oh, it's gonna take time, I'm gonna get more questions, you know, all that stuff, right? But in retrospect, you know, like investing in making sure that your shareholders are happy, are educated, are informed. You know, in, in the long term, it, it always pays off, right? Because having shareholders that are not happy or not engaged can create, can create a lot of, you know, negative dynamics. And, you know, there's obviously a, a, a lot of family business cases that have been publicized where, you know, they, they, they have challenged to, to operate successfully uh, and, and together as, as a family group, right? And so that's kind of really what, what we try and do is, is to offer them the tools, the best practices, the, the templates to enable them to operate, you know, as a group in, in an effective way. Yes, to, to, uh, to add a bit of an anecdote to this is the fact that because we have built some credibility with, with clients over time and, and our number of clients is increasing, some families now come and see us a bit. They are in, let's say, a desperate situation, right? Uh, sometimes both on the business side and the family side, because they have not been nurturing well, among other things, their organization. And, and they think that we can suddenly bring a, a silver bullet solution, right? And, and this is very tough again, because it, I can only emphasize the importance of doing it progressively and over time, because these, when you have, an, for example, a cross-generational change, 
you can have many things that appear within an organization and that that will highlight if there's tension in the business for example so definitely it's it's we can, there are indeed tons of very interesting books about both uh, best cases in families and, and worst cases, right? Family wars and things like that, which are dramatic and scary. But it's really worth uh, educating ourselves and trying to protect ourselves, I think, against the, the worst case. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned in the, the introduction about the stage at which your businesses were when you met and had the idea of how do we better consolidate our, our governance and manage our governance. I guess the starting point for those that are listening, if there aren't those governance structures in place, is to look at whether governance structures, whether shareholders meetings, family councils, a family constitution, whether that would help improve things going forward and then progress towards how do we best um, sort of store that and, and organize that in order to to have effective communication between family members because again going from naught to a hundred uh, overnight is is possibly going to create more tension than it solves and I think there is always a danger that um, a far-reaching sweeping uh, implementation of every governance structure in the world is seen as the the solution to all um, it's got to be what's right for them as a family and individuals and then they can look at the best way to utilize the technology and the whatever's available in order to um sort of bring that into to fruition right i think what's key and that's irrespective of the family size and complexity it's it's the transition from an informal way of working to a formal way of working because the moment your shared group of people you know, like we all, if we're all in a meeting together and we all make a decision six months from now, do we all remember that decision and what's going to be our recollection, right? And so irrespective whether it's called a board or an investment committee or whatever, I think we recommend the moment you're in a concept of shared ownership, you know, you need to have some sort of meeting, right? Where you need to make decisions, you need to discuss and inform, you know, the, the different owners and, and stakeholders, and just having a written agenda of these meetings, having written notes of these meetings. That's like the first step. It's a very simple step, but it gets you already started in that way of of working a bit more more formally, right? You know, I always have this stereotype of like this sort of family dinner conversation, right? Where people come yeah. together and then they mix family topics with business topics. But then, you know, it's sort of informal, right? Just make sure that it's written down and, you know, uh, archived on, on a good platform. Yeah, absolutely. Very conscious of time and, and thank you very much for your uh, input and um, expertise um, today. For those that are listening and wanting to find out a little bit more about Trusted Family and how they can uh, get started on, on their um, move to, to that kind of um, solution, what's the, the best place for them to, to go and look at? Trustedfamily.com, uh, very simple, or just send us an email on contact at trustedfamily.net. Excellent. And um, thank you both very much uh, for your time. Um, that was a, a really interesting dive into to something that I've been um, a fan of for a while. So uh, thank you very much and uh, look forward to speaking to you guys soon. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you found the show helpful, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter. 
If what I've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business, I can help. I provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes, so please get in touch if you'd like to know more. Head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. Until next time, take care.